may I remind you that this is the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 25. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, the man who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others 
than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers and not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in, while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This week on Thursday, we had a funeral in our church. Um, for somebody that uh, is very recently connected to our church. I don't think many people would know who he was. His name was Neil. Um, beforehand, a lady arrived quite early, and I came and greeted her. She was sitting over there. Um, and she was quite bewildered by our church building. She said to me, look, I've been in such and such a church my whole life, and I can't understand where is the cross in this church? Why is, there, why is it so unadorned? Where is the furniture? And uh, where are the signs that you are indeed a Christian church? She didn't quite put it like that, but that is what she was thinking. There's no crucifix or cross. What is the sign that we are a Christian church? Well done. <laughs> it is not a cross or a crucifix at the front of the building, nor is it a, a piece of jewelry hanging around our necks. If you're like me, it better not be a bumper sticker because then you have to drive as though Discovery is your insurer, you know, very slowly. Otherwise, the name of Christ will be in disrepute. That's why I don't have a Christian bumper sticker on my car. Last week, we learned that the sign that tells the world that we are authentically Christian is our love for one another. And that was chapter 13. Genuine, authentic Christianity is seen in that we love one another unselfishly and give ourselves to each other, even if the other doesn't deserve it. For that is how God has treated us. That is his love for us. And to walk into a group of people who are unselfish and who are trying to outdo each other in love and service is really like nothing else in the whole world. It's not that we're wearing a t-shirt or a piece of jewelry around our necks. It's that we are living for the good of others, even when it costs us. And so Paul pulls that thread through in our passage this morning in verse 1, when he says, follow the way of love. He's talking about true spirituality. 
Another way of saying that is he's talking about what maturity looks like in the Christian church. Uh, we learned in chapter 12 a few weeks ago that true spirituality, true maturity is not about gifts. It's not about spiritual euphoria or experiences. It is actually about confessing Jesus as Lord. How do you know if somebody is spiritual? And so have a look at chapter 12 and verse 3 on the screen. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And it was quite liberating, wasn't it, in chapter 12 to remember or to learn maybe for the first time that spirituality, how do you measure if somebody is inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God? It has to do with what they say and think and how they live with Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit, the evidence of his work and presence in our lives individually and in our church corporately, is that he leads us into relationship with Jesus. That is, spirituality is seen in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, we will never acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And so one of the major points that we saw in chapter 12 was that the purpose of the gift that you have is public and not private. That is, it is for the benefit of others. It was a very important verse, verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That is, a gift is given for the common good. Using the gifts for the common good is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And now we come to chapter 14, and this is really where the rubber hits the road, especially for the subject of speaking in tongues. I've got two headings this morning. Um, I've struggled with, this, with the structure of this passage, and I'm not sure that I've uh, got it right, but the first heading is going to be most of the sermon. Um, there are about four subheadings under the first heading, and then the last heading is quite short. So brace yourselves. So the first heading is build the church, and my second heading later on will be consider outsiders. But first, build the church. The word build is the word edify. The word edify, we get edifice from the word edify, a big structure. It comes six times in this passage, in verse 3, twice in verse 4, verse 5, verse 12, and verse 17. Uh, that's a clue as to what his concern is in the passage. His concern is that the church is built up, it's edified. That is what God is doing in the world while we wait for his son to return. He is building his church. That's what the Spirit is doing. He is building the church, a new community, a new creation is what the Spirit of God is busy with while we wait for the second coming of the Son. And so his first principle is love. He has the first subheading, love. Follow the way of love, verse 1. Literally, pursue love. It's a command, it's an imperative. Remember last week, chapter 13 was a rebuke to an unloving church, wasn't it? A selfish church, where everybody was trying to outdo everybody else and show off uh, what they could do. 
a church full of selfishness, Christians parading their gifts as though they were spiritual, but actually they were selfish. They were using their gifts to build themselves and to show how spiritual they were. Um, But Paul says, pursue love. See, love is not a gift of the Spirit. Love is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's what the gifts are for. It is love is the end to which the gifts are the means. Using your gift in love is what makes the gift worthwhile. Without love, the gift is a distraction, and we'd rather not have it. Here's my, here's my phrase for the sermon this morning. It'll be on the screen. The unspiritual Christian says, I love to use my gifts. The spiritual Christian says, I use my gift to love. Can you see the difference there? The first statement is selfish, isn't it? I'm at the center. But the second statement makes it for the good of others. We learned last week that gifts are part of the passing world that we are living in. They're the training wheels. God gives us gifts, and he gives gifts to the church to build the church. That is the end that he has in mind. Those gifts, like all the world, will pass away. But what abides? Do you remember the last verse of chapter 13? Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, for they will continue into all of eternity. We come to church to pursue love, to serve others, to give our time and our energy and our interest loving others for their benefit, irrespective of whether or not they deserve it. I do not come to church because I'm loved and appreciated there. That's selfish. That is to be a consumer. I don't leave a church because I don't feel loved anymore. That is to be a consumer. There's no one who connects with me at church. Well, you are not here to be connected with. You are to connect with others. It's selfish. I am there to serve you. That is why I come to church. What a different mindset the Holy Spirit gives us. For in all of our lives, we are consumers, except when we walk through those doors and when we gather together like this. Our hearts and our attitudes are governed by loving others, not by expressing my gifts. The question is not what gifts do I have. The question is what needs do you have that I might be able to meet? Here's the second heading, gifts. Let's talk more about gifts. A few weeks ago, I showed you that in chapter 12 and verse 1, the word gift does not appear in the Greek, and the same is true in chapter 14 and verse 1. Chapter 14 and verse 1, we can have it on the screen, Reese, is follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. In the original, the word gift is not there. It's just the plural adjective, 
spirituals. Spiritual things. He's saying desire to be spiritual. That's what he's saying. That is, desire maturity when you gather. Eagerly desire desire being spiritual and mature. In 1 Corinthians, the adjective spiritual is never combined with the word gifts. Not once in 1 Corinthians. Um, The word gifts is used seven times in 1 Corinthians, but never used with the adjective spiritual. The word spiritual is used 15 times in 1 Corinthians, but it's never connected to gifts. The phrase gifts of the Spirit or spiritual gifts is never used in 1 Corinthians, and the word gifts is not used once in chapter 14. This chapter is not about gifts. It's not what he's at the front of his concerns. The problem that Paul is addressing is the confusion in the Corinthian church, um, and he's showing them the difference between being spiritual that is being mature, and being gifted. There is a difference between that. And let's think about that for a moment. It's, it, it's a very common modern problem. For it is possible to be enormously gifted without being spiritual, without being mature. And isn't it a sad truth that the church is awash with the unspiritually gifted. People who get into positions of power and influence and leadership in the church, because of their gifts, because they are brilliant orators or powerful personalities, um, and yet they are immature Christians and are actually unspiritual people who end up doing lots of damage. It is a common phenomenon in churches across history and across the world. There are many examples of the emphasizing of gifts instead of the emphasizing of love. And so gifts or gifting and spirituality are not the same thing. Uh, Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 14. He says, So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Now, the word gift is not there. He's saying, since you are eager for things of the Spirit, that is for spiritual things, for Christian maturity, excel in those that build up the church, for that is what the Spirit wants. What is the Spirit doing? What is his job description? What is he busy with? He's busy with building the church, drawing more and more people in, who will profess Jesus is Lord so that God's kingdom can be grown on earth. Next subheading is prophecy. Third one, prophecy. His basic point in this chapter, brothers and sisters, is that tongues may help you personally, but it doesn't help anybody else. Prophecy is better because that helps all of us. Look at verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. That could be a summary of this chapter. 
His great priority when we meet together and gather like this is that whatever else happens, backflips, whatever else happens, there must be prophecy which leads to building up, strengthening, or edification. The thing that the church needs more than anything else is to be built up. And the shock or the surprise that this would have been to the church at Corinth is that the building up of the church happens when there is prophecy and not when there is tongues. Now, let's be clear. Paul is not saying that tongues don't exist. He is not forbidding tongues, and nobody ought to forbid tongues. He's not even saying that tongues aren't useful to you as an individual. But he is saying that what needs to be operational more than anything else when the church is gathered is the activity of prophecy. And this is such an important point that if somebody happens to speak in tongues in the gathering, they should pray for that to be turned into prophecy rather. Because look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Well, what is prophecy? I'm glad you asked the question. One of the difficulties that we have is that we are never given clear definitions of many of the things that Paul mentions in these chapters. But prophecy might be an exception to that. So we are given some clues in the passage as to what prophecy might be. For example, verse 3 tells us what the result of prophecy is. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So that's a result of prophecy. Um, Verse 9 talks about the importance of intelligibility. So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? And verse 6 gives us a list of words, including prophecy, that are a list of activities which use words intelligibly. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. And so tongues without prophecy is useless. Look at how he puts it again in verse 9. Can we go back to verse 9, Reese? Look at that last sentence. You'll just be speaking into the air, he says. And he uses three illustrations to make his point. In verse 7, he uses the illustration of music. Uh, When my brother took up the cello, we all thought that he was torturing the cat. And anyone who has had a child try and practice an instrument as they start to learn it knows exactly what Paul is saying in verse 7. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Music is an example. Then he uses battle in verse 8 as an example. He says again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? And then in verse 10 and 11, he uses foreign language as an example. 
Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, verse 10, yet none of them is without meaning. Even then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying. I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. It reminded me of the time I got lost in Paris. I was, uh, it was a long time ago before I was married. I was in Paris with three British friends. They all knew their way around, and they could all speak French. And one morning, they left me behind accidentally, and I decided to take myself for a wander around Paris. Five hours later, I was lost and hungry. And so I went into a sandwich shop, and I knew three French words. Baguette, fromage, cheese, and my third French word was Coke. <laughs> I managed to survive, and... Uh, after I'd lost all hope and was in deep despair, I turned a corner and there was miraculously my hotel and I found my way back. Verse 12. Since you are eager to be spiritual, remember the word gift is not there, since you are eager to be spiritual, excel in building up the church. Show that you are spiritual, that you are mature by excelling in building up the church. And what is it that builds up the church? Prophecy. Now, we are going to learn more about prophecy in next week's passage, which is the last one in the series. Whatever else prophecy might be, it has, it's not less than speaking God's words about Jesus. Look at this one cross, I've only got one cross reference. Look at this from Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Um, he says, uh, just the last sentence there, he says, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. What is prophecy? At its, at its baseline, prophecy is bearing testimony about Jesus. And it can take different forms. But that is the basic bottom line when it comes to prophecy. And that is something that all Christians can and should do. We should earnestly desire to do it. It's not so much a gift as it is an activity. Will you bear testimony to Jesus? And ever since Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given to all those who declare Jesus is Lord. Being called to bear testimony to Jesus is something that all Christians are called to do. Here is what one Christian writer said. If you are truly spiritual people, you will not be obsessed with the gifts that begin and end with you, like tongue speaking. Rather, you will want to exercise those gifts that build up the church, which prophecy does, first and foremost. We need to hear words in order to be built up, rather than have experiences in order to be built up. For experiences are unreliable. Experiences are ambiguous. Do you know that Hindus speak in tongues? It is a feature that is... Uh, prevalent in other religions. It doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. So tongues, lastly. First of all, the foundation of the gifts is love. The activity that builds the church is intelligible words. 
and the result is a fruitful mind. Look at verse 13 now. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Verse 15, what shall, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with and my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Can you see, he's not outlawing tongues. He's not saying that you mustn't speak in tongues and pray in the spirit. But when we are gathered, we need to have higher priorities. When I speak in tongues, my mind is unfruitful. When I, when I pray in my spirit, or when I sing in my spirit, but not with my mind, it leads to unfruitfulness. What is the unfruitfulness that he's talking about? Well, remember what his great concern is in the whole passage? It's edification, the building up of the church. There will be no fruit of edification if you just pray or sing in your spirit and not with your mind. To give thanks with your spirit is fine, but it's no benefit to me. I don't know what's going on and I can't join in with you. I can't say amen and agree with you because I don't know what's going on. Many Christians are confused about the place of the mind in the Christian church. Some think that it's not very spiritual to use your mind all that much. And we in this church and in our circle of churches have, are often and regularly accused of being too cerebral in the way in which we approach things. Even emotional activities like praying and singing are to be done not only with your spirit, but with your mind. It isn't good enough just to be emotional when you pray and sing. You also need to be thoughtful. I was grateful that Paul reminded us of that, not this Paul, that Paul, this morning when he stood up to start the service. He said, sing and consider the words that you are singing. Mere emotion on its own without thoughtfulness is fruitless, according to verse 14. You know, this is why Trudette, newly back from honeymoon, gives so much time and effort in choosing the songs that we sing in our church, and I'm so grateful to her for that. She chooses the songs with the Bible open, basically, because she wants us to be thoughtful when we sing. So that sometimes means that we don't sing the most modern or trendy Christian songs, because they aren't... They don't help us with that. Not all of them. Some of them do. It's why we have prepared prayers in our service, which we also get, we also cop a bit of flack for from time to time. Um, especially those who are here from other churches where prayer is very spontaneous and extemporaneous. And they come here and it feels, and I know what they mean, it feels like our prayers are quite canned and wooden because they are red. But you know, our prayers you prepare take hours to prepare because they are wanting to build up. 
They're wanting to be thoughtful. Uh, in our previous church, there were two sisters who joined us who had come to us from a quite a wild out there church. And um, they loved the Bible, but they hated everything else in the service. They couldn't stand our music. It was too tame. Um, they couldn't stand the prepared prayers. They thought it was so formal and awful. And they stayed and they stayed and they couldn't help it. They kept coming back. They kept coming back because they loved the Bible. And um, after a while, I spoke to them as sisters. And I said, now, why have you stayed? And the one sister said, you know, last week, I was so um, dismissive of the music and the praying in this church. But last week, for the first time, I came up for air. And I actually listened to the content of the songs and the prayers, and I was stunned by it. It was so nourishing. It was so thoughtful. And they are still there today after years, serving their guts out in that church, which is such a wonderful thing. Verse 18 he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, look at this exchange rate. I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul spoke in tongues, but it's very interesting. There is no record of him ever speaking in tongues corporately when the church gathered. I suggest to you that Paul is saying that tongues are best left to when you are alone. That's fine. We don't do it when we gather because it is not edifying to the body. Five words of prophecy is better than 10,000 words in a tongue. Five words, Jesus Christ is Lord. There's four. That's better. Lastly, and my second heading, which will be much shorter, is consider outsiders, verses 21 to 25. Um, I want, I'm aware of the time, and we've still got communion to go, so let me just bounce through this very, very quickly. His basic point is, you can see it in verse 22. We don't have time to explore everything. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. What he means there is, that when an unbeliever comes into a church and he hears tongues, that is judgment against the unbeliever because he can't understand anything. He can't hear God's word. And so he remains in his state of darkness. Verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever... Or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, testifying to Jesus, remember? They are convicted of sin, brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so that they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Isn't that a lovely picture? When prophecy is happening, that is, when words are being spoken, when testimony is being given to the Lord Jesus Christ, then the outsiders will come in and they will fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the hope is, is that they will leave saying, God is really among them. 
And my hope this morning for those who might be here who are unbelievers and inquirers and outsiders is that you will leave saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. Speaking in tongues, dear friends, is not the sign of a spiritually mature church. A spiritual church will preach Christ in season and out. And spiritual people will acknowledge him as Lord of their lives and will live out that by loving and serving one another. And hopefully, as we grow in maturity together, unbelievers and inquirers will hear and be convicted and will believe. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer and we'll just have a moment of quiet as we prepare our hearts now to receive uh, the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask those who are distributing to come up and to start distributing and the musicians can also come up. And we're just going to have a moment of quiet and then we're going to sing while uh, the bread and the grape juice is distributed. Keep it so that we can eat and drink together as a sign of our unity. But first, a moment of quiet. Father, we want to be a mature church that is known for its love. Uh, we want to be a church where the testimony about Jesus is proclaimed in our songs, in our prayers, from the pulpit, in our conversations with one another, formally and informally. Please would you mature us. Please would you make us spiritual. And we pray for those who may be inquirers here this morning, that you would reveal yourself to them Give them your spirit so that they too may declare that Jesus is Lord. And how grateful we are to you that he demonstrated his lordship by coming into the world and dying and modeling love supreme by giving everything to those who didn't deserve it. For Jesus' sake, amen.